Can we pray quickly this morning? Let's just trust God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you, Lord, that you have brought everybody here on purpose and for a purpose today, Father God. I pray that your word as it speaks into their hearts, Lord, will it take root, will it activate something in our lives, Father God, to allow us to become action people, Father God. Not by our own might, not by our own strength, but by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit that's, that guides us. So thank you for this time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Why don't you high five three people and say you're looking so good today. Good morning, Malpas. How are we all doing? Good morning, Malpas. How are we all doing? Come on, that's better. Come on, guys. I just wanted to start this morning just by, by sending out a shout out. A shout out. Uh, is this mic better? Okay. Oh, now I've got to be careful. I don't shout. Hey, how many of you love good FM? Shout out. Hey, we're going to send a shout out to my mommy. And my, I want to send a shout out today just to, to celebrate and honor all of our dream team. You know, everybody that arrives here early or works during the week, I think a lot of what happens here at church is because there's a team behind the scenes constantly serving the house of God. And so can we just celebrate all of our dream team, some of them that got you at 6.30 this morning to prepare for worship. We thank you guys. We appreciate it. We want to remind you that we are one church with three different locations. And so over 380 people serve every Sunday. And we just thank you guys for all of the effort. And we want to encourage you, why don't you join a dream team? Joining a dream team, joining a view group, it's just the way that we can, we can expand the way that we reach people in the season. I want to also remind you that on the 12th of November, we've got something coming up called the Heart for the House. And so a Heart for the House is a once a year offering that we, we, we take up uh, for the purposes of, of uh, building things around our, our, our community. And so what we want to do with Heart for the House this year is we want to actually revamp some of the facilities to help God's church reach its purpose in the communities. And so I want to ask you and invite you to pray with us. Pray with us for that Heart for the House offering because we're going to use the Heart for the House offerings to prepare for what really we believe is a harvest that's coming in Jesus' name. I want to remind you that we have been growing, even in Melkbos, double digits every week on last year. Our church is growing, and we need to update our facilities in order to do that. And so uh, we believe that uh, these projects that we're going to be using the funds for is for over and above our budget. It's over and above giving. It's over and above our tithes. But we do this to fast track the church. And so we want to invite you guys in for that. We're going to use the funds to improve our things like Graham was mentioning, the air cons. We're also going to improve our car park. Most of you that parked your car this morning recognize that we're starting to reach full capacity on car parks. So we're going to do some revamping there. But the big one for me is, I don't know if you realize, but nearly 30% of our church attendance, actually it's 28% of our church attendance on average, is kids but they have 10% of the space. 
So actually, there's a lid on the ability of how fast we can grow our church based on our capacity to, to serve kids properly and give them a great experience as they learn and grow in Christ. And so this is what we're going to use the funds for. We want to encourage you guys to pray over it, to give generously, and, and let's be a church that is generous, that sees our church continuing to grow by the grace of God in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Listen, the title for this morning's message is A Path to Victory. Uh, We are in our third week of our series, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at the Table. And, um, And what we've been doing really and essentially is we've been helping you understand that there is a spiritual warfare going on and and that we need to have a response to the spiritual warfare. And so over the last three weeks, I've been speaking to people that have been finding breakthrough in this, this series. Like Graham spoke, and he was talking about how we got to get our thoughts, our emotions, and our desires right. Leanne spoke last week over overcoming the battle of the mind. I just want to ask, is there a possibility we can turn this mic down just a little bit? Uh, sorry, guys, to call you out, but I'd appreciate that. <laughs> Otherwise, everybody outside in Milkbos will hear this message as well. Um, so you reckon we just keep going? And, I, you know, somebody came up to me and just said, you know, I've been struggling with getting my thought life right. And how this series has just benefited me to actually recognize the enemy that's seated at my table, just within my thought life. And how practically I can take that, that step forward, that practically, just like Psalms 23.5 says that God gives us a seat in the presence of our enemy. You've got to understand that because that doesn't mean that God takes away your enemies. If your prayer is, God, will you just take away all the enemies and all the bad stuff from me? That's not what God does. But he does seat a table in the presence of your enemy. And Psalms 23 says that even though we walk through the valley of the shadows, he walks with us. You see, Christ walks with us through our situations. And it's important to recognize that you need to be seated at the table with him because that's where the victory is and not allowing the enemy to be seated. So last week, Leanne would have covered winning the, ba- the, winning the battlefield of the mind. How many of you have ever had like imaginary conversations with yourself? Oh, come on, I know you all do. Come on, there's nobody here. Hey, that, that moment when somebody disses you. Hey, like somebody's got, I remember we're having bright shoes once in a walk in the room. The guy said, Wow, I saw those shoes coming around the corner before you did. And I was like, What? And I swear, for the last three days after that, I was trying to think of a comeback. Yeah, my shoes are bright. What about your shoes? And I had this like imaginary conversation over this thing. How many of you ever have those thought processes in your mind? Hey, how many times the enemy seats himself in our thought process? And we end up having an imaginary conversation that's actually deceptive because none of it's real. And we, learn, we need to learn to take authority over that through the power of Christ and his spirit and work that's within us. You know, we can't always control our situations. And you can't always control every circumstance you face. You can't control who your parents were or your DNA was. Louis Gigler puts it like this in the, in the series. He actually says, but what we can control is our minds. You can control your thoughts and how they land in your mind. And Proverbs 23, 7 says this, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. It's important to understand that thinking is actually a very important part in the way that we approach things. So when we've got right thinking, we end up with right living. But wrong thinking can lead you to wrong living. 
I love the way Craig Rochelle puts it. He actually says, you know, the, 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 the direction of your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thought. So be careful what you're thinking about because your life's moving in that direction. And so we've got to take charge and authority of recognizing the enemy as he's seated at our table within our thought life. You know, you can't harbor ill thoughts against God's will and expect to live a good life. You know, I was 20 years old, and I, was, um, I, I didn't know Jesus, and I came to know him in a room praying in a broken time. God, I can't. And I just prayed, if there is a God that is real, I could use you right now. And a thought jumped in my mind. I wasn't living right. I was living a worldly life. And a thought jumped in my mind. Start running. And I thought to myself, is that Forrest Gump or is that God? (laughs) And so I didn't even have running shoes, but I started running. I had shoes like this, and I started running. And I thought, well, I've reached the end of what I could. Like, I don't know if I could do this anymore. And I never stopped running. But I recognized what God was doing. He needed to get me moving. You see, I was stuck in my own thought process of how bad life is. I don't know if I could do this. I think I should end it now. But God actually just said, start running. And I recognized that the power of the Holy Spirit was whispering in in my ear because all he needed me to do was get moving. A lot of us are stuck in our situations, stuck in our thoughts, and we believe we've come to the end of our lives because we're living a worldly life. But the funny thing about prayer, when I sat and invited God into that situation, when you invite God into your situation, your situation changes. And so my situation changed, but it was because I had to have a change of mind. For some of us, it may be a wake-up call. For some of us, it might, for me, it was a wake-up call. You're actually not living right. And I invited God's power in by prayer, and I invited him into the midst to sit at my table, and things changed because of that. And since then, I've just been sanctified and growing with God. But I want to let you know that sometimes we need to have a change of mind. Our minds actually can lead us in the wrong way. And so the first thing that we have to do in the battlefield of the mind is simply just change our minds. And align our minds with God's word. Romans 12, 2 actually says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your? Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will. His good and His pleasing, perfect will. If you're taking notes this morning, why don't you write down the first one? You see, the outcome of God, the, the outcome that God has planned for you and He's planned for me is actually victory. So the first point, if you're taking notes this morning, is victory is God's plan for you. It always has been. God doesn't want to see you broken. He wants to see you victorious. You see, the enemy's got a different story for us, though. He has a different narrative. He wants to tell you that you're never going to make it, that you're not good enough, that you don't measure up, that everything in your life is ultimately going to lead to defeat. You see, even when I was living in a worldly way, I was still had a good job. I was doing, I thought that I was achieving, but actually I was achieving nothing. I felt emptier then than I'd ever felt. Because there was this false deception that if I achieved more, got a bigger job, if I, if I had all that stuff, life was going to make me happy, and it didn't. That's what the enemy wants to do. John 10.10 10 says, the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There's two parts of the scripture. 
The enemy's part is to kill, steal, and destroy. And he loves to tell you that you're never going to make it. You know that parenting thing that you're doing? You've raised your kids wrong. And they're never going to change. There's no hope for your kids. Your marriage? Why don't you just give it up? Just divorce is the option. Go for divorce. That's what the enemy would love you to believe. But you know what God would love you to believe in John 10.10? There's a second flip to that story. You see, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been created for victory. The enemy wants you to believe that you are defeated, but you're not. God has come to give you life. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He talks about ultimate victory. He's talking about the victory over the grave and how Christ has conquered death. But I think the principle applies for us. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Paul starts by saying, but thanks be to God. I love the way Louis Gigler goes. I've never looked at this before. There's an exclamation mark. He almost goes, thanks be to God. Because that's how Paul would have responded. He would have been grateful. He would have been going like, whoa, thanks be to God. And he goes on to say, because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is pointing out here is such an important point that when you are a child of God, you are not starting from zero, you are starting from Jesus. You are not starting from defeat, you are starting from the victory of Jesus Christ. The victory that overcame the grave, the victory that is enough for you to change your situation. And you, when you come alive, he starts to move you closer towards faith and from death and spiritually you start to grow. Whatever you're facing here today, I just need you to know, whatever the world has against you right now, are you starting from Jesus or are you starting from zero? Because if you're a child of God, I want to remind you this morning, you start from the victory of Jesus. You don't start from zero. Jesus came to conquer so that we could live with him and he took the sting of death. He made a way so that you could live. He went to the tomb and conquered it so that he could take you out the tomb. Jesus moved into enemy territory so that he could defeat the enemy, call him out for his lies, and that he could help you get the victory over that. With Jesus, we're not moving for victory. We're moving from a place of victory. You know, in military, the point of military is to gain territory, right? And so um, if you want to gain territory, you've got to ask yourself, who gains the most territory in your life right now? Is it the enemy or is it Jesus? Because Jesus' victory, if you understand that, that we're starting from Jesus, you've got to understand that there's a beachhead. A beachhead is when people used to land on the beach to conquer a certain place. That there would be a, a, a temporary line of defense. And they would come there and it would set up the line of defense and stand there and say, we will not move back. And then they would take a step forward. And they would gain territory over those things. Jesus wants to gain territory over your thought life. Those things that you're standing that are taking control of your mind, he wants you to step into it. He wants you to know that him in that victory, it can never lose. We see it in Numbers 13 when Moses, God comes to Moses and he says to the Israelites, they've been wandering the desert for 40 years and now the time has come to cross into the promised land. And God says, Moses, why don't you get 12 of the leaders from each of the tribe and I want them to go and explore the land I am going to give you. It's so funny that story because God gave them the land, right? 
but they were still enemies to faith. God gave you your promise, your potential, your purpose, your destiny. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to face an enemy in it. But I love how the 12 spies go out. And so the story goes out that they go out and they explore the land. And 10 of them come back, cowardice and going, we cannot take that land. Those guys are huge. They look like springboks. They are dangerous on the field. They're going to win the World Cup. Never mind. But here's the thing, and I'm saying is that sometimes we can get into this position where we're going, the enemy's just too big. And so 10 of them came back and started to speak about giants and being locusts. Two of them came back and spoke about milk and honey and grapes. You know, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that ripped off a branch of fruit. They were like, no ways. We've got to tell everybody how great this place is. They rip off the fruit. And so while 10 of them came back and said, well, never going to happen. Those giants are too big. Two of them went, have you seen the size of the grapes in this place? We are going to love this place. Sometimes that happens in your mind. Are you seeing the giants in your life or are you seeing the grapes in your life? Because they're both there. And you need to realize that God, with Him, allows you to see the grapes, but also overcome your victories. The second thing is that winning the battle of the mind requires you to unite yourself with Jesus. Romans 6, 5 says, For we have been united with Him in death, and likewise we will certainly be united with Him in resurrection. We identify with Jesus' suffering and His resurrection and His life. And it happens when we adapt our mindset to say that God has a purpose for me and He has a plan for me and I will not relinquish that. I will stand on that beach line and I will not get back. I won't gain back territory. God has a plan. He hasn't forgotten. And that's the mindset we need to shift into and go, Jesus, I need to unite with you because you are my victory. God wants to set you free from your past and change your story, but you need to change your mind. You need to have a wake-up call sometimes and just change your mind. If you have wrong thinking, just change the way you're thinking. So what's a practical step? Let's get into it quickly. Third point, we suit up and we take a stand. The Bible actually says um, in, in Philippians, it's sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, it actually says that be strong. It starts by saying be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But then there's an action for us. Now put on the full armor of God. A lot of us start by God, we understand that you're Lord and you got might, but we never put the full armor on. Graham mentioned something about two weeks ago that I've never gotten, I think in pictures. I don't know about you, but they're splattering pictures. He said, have you ever arrived at work naked? <laughs> I was like, whoa, I pray to Jesus, that never happens. How many of us get up and go to gym and then you go, oh, I forgot to put my clothes on? Hey? But we're happy to do that when we don't put the Word of God on. We don't put the armor of God on. We think putting our physical clothes on is what's going to get us the win. No, it's putting the full armor of God on that gets us the wind. And so from verse 13, it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. After you have done everything, stand firm. So we've been talking about practical steps in the mind. We've been talking about the armor of God. So last week, Leanne would have covered the helmet of salvation. Today, I want to cover one called stand firm. And it deals with three pieces of the armor. Well, so we're going to be talking about all six I want to deal with three today. And the first one is obviously in verse 40. It says, stand firm then 
with the belt of truth, the buckle around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Paul was standing in prison when he wrote this. I don't know if he was standing or sitting, but he was in prison. And his view would have been a God, a Roman God that was dressed pretty much like this. I don't know if they've got that picture. There we go. That is the armor of the Roman soldier that Paul would have been using as the reference for this. So they they fully kitted. And so Paul would have been saying, that's how we need to dress for spiritual battle every day. We need to get ready. You see the salvation, the helmet there. You see the, the breastplate. You see the, 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 the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. And so that's what they would have looked like. But you know the shoes? If you go to the, the shoes first, the shoes were actually created as a soldier, were created for them to move quickly through battle. It actually had studs like rugby boots. It had little studs on the back that allowed them to move quickly through battle. You see, it allowed them... Paul imagined these shoes as the shoes that make you ready to bring the gospel of peace. As you study the Word of God, it gives you a peace through the gospel, but then you're ready to deliver it. This morning when I put these shoes on, I said, these shoes are ready for the gospel of peace. I'm going to stand up and preach the Word of God this morning. I've prepared it in my heart to speak. But that's what the shoes do, is they get you ready. Now, and a lot of you would also understand that if you've walked around barefoot enough, you'll know that some ground is unwalkable. How many of you ever run across thorns? It's like you run fast. You play rugby. I played for Brackenfell. We like played on barefoot. You run fast and then it's, ah, oh, it actually stops in your chair. You're sitting and pulling them all out one by one. And you sit down, you get the thorns in your bum. Hey? But when we put the gospel of peace, the shoes on, it allows us to cover any territory. No matter what the battle's coming at you, you're able to overcome that territory. The other thing shoes do is they also allow you to stand firm. They also allow you to conquer different areas that you're going to approach. And I believe that there's a spiritual battle that faces you every day, and you need to have peace. The big word these days is stressed, anxiety. Well, I want to let you know that the Bible actually talks that we need to have the peace that comes through the gospel. 1 Peter tells us that we can cast our cares on God because he cares about us. And so when I read that, I know that I'm ready for what comes. The other thing is the breastplate of righteousness. I love that because the breastplate of righteousness typically was made from bronze or it was made from chain mail. And you would, it would literally cover uh, the, 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 the important parts of your body. It would cover your heart. It would cover your lungs. It would cover your stomach. It's like a bulletproof vest. It would literally make sure that you are protected. And so it would cover the vital parts. You see, the word righteous means right living. It's your character. It would protect your character. So, what, Dita, what are you talking about? Well, how many of you ever jumped a red robot? <laughs> hey, that's not the right thing to do. But if we prepare ourselves in Christ, we know that we will always apply the right things in the right character and in the right way. And so what we've got to do is we've got to protect. You see, the world looks at the outwards appearance, but God looks at the heart. 
And so the breastplate, as we get ready for it, it protects our character. It makes sure that our character is what? It's like Jesus. How many of you remember this? You had to be grown up in the 80s. Do you remember this? Huh? Not only, did the, 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 not only was the, uh, the breastplate of righteousness something that was protecting them, it was also something that would be designed in a way that you would, would be unique so that you could recognize your fellow soldier on the battlefield. And so they would be uniquely made so that you could be identified. You see, when you got the right character of Christ, you don't just talk about Christ. You live it in a righteous way, in a right living way. You, and this is the thing is prayer will invite Jesus into your situation. But WWJD, what would Jesus do that helps you live in a character like Christ? And so as we study the word, I always thought if I had the breastplate of righteousness, I would have this put on the chest of it. Anything I'm about to face, what would Jesus do? And that's how we know what right living is. When we study what Jesus' character is. Now I've got three minutes to give you the most important one that I want to talk about today. And you probably couldn't even recognize it on there. If you're not careful, you could actually miss the belt of truth. It's, it's a, two leather straps that are literally strapped around there. And the purpose of the belt in this particular armor was to keep the armor in place. So just to give you context, the Roman soldiers, BBC, according to BBC, the Roman soldiers' armor would have weighed up to 36 kilograms. And they would carry it between 12 and 15 hours a day. And what this belt did is it helped secure the core and keep it in place. It would strap it. And if the belt was not good, it wasn't an accessory. If the belt was not good, your core would be out of place. And so it reminds me of a story. I, um, I once had a friend. We took him hiking. His name was Mark. I'm not going to give you his surname just in case I embarrass him. So Mark comes hiking and we love hiking. We go to the Cedarburg for a few days. He says, what do I need to pack? I said, don't worry, I've got a bag. I'll borrow it to you. He says, what do I need to buy for food? I said, lots of baked beans, like 20 cans of baked beans. Like if you can get six cans of tuna, like 10 cans of bully beef. We're going to eat 10. He says, are we really going to eat? I said, we're going to eat it all. So literally it was a joke that we would play on everybody is we'd try and make their bags as heavy as possible. So when they went up on the hike, they would moan all the way. Our bags would be like 20 kilos there because we would have packed dehydration food. They had like clung, clung, <laughs> like tons of stuff and they would carry it. And then we'd say to them, you know what you must do is actually the best way to carry the bag because it's heavy now. Actually, don't tighten the belt. Just carry it like it says. And he'd be walking up. He's going, are you sure? Now, the reason we do this with newcomers is because you know there's dangerous animals in the mountain. And you always got to hike with somebody that's slower in case you need to get away. So he would be cling, cling. The point of what I'm trying to make is that had he had tightened this belt. Jeez, the last time I wore that. What does a hiking bag do when it's heavy? You tighten the belt. That's what the belt of truth does. It stabilizes, and we can carry heavier weight because of the stabilizer. It's not an accessory. It was a weight belt. It was the ability to carry weight. And, and the point that I'm trying to make is the belt stabilized and strengthens the core. 
What was the belt? Well, it's truth. It's this thing that we face today that's really huge. A lot of things that is at attack in this world is that we don't have truth. Everyone's got a different version of truth, and truth is all over the place. And you know what happens when you don't stabilize your core? You become unstable. And we're wondering why our world is in this place where we're walking around unstable. Because we haven't aligned what is truth. Can I tell you something today? What God wants you to carry, the potential, the destiny in your life is too heavy for you to carry alone. So you need a little bit of help. You need to strengthen your core. You need the truth of God in your life. Paul says, listen, if you're going to be a soldier in this battle, this spiritual battle, you're going to need to realize you have to start from a place of truth. And if you can establish the truth, you can stabilize your ministry. Here's what you need to put on in your life. You need to put on the belt of truth. And it's first in the armor. I know we've been doing them all over, but it's first in the armor. And I believe God's put the armor, the belt of truth there. Because if you'd never establish who God is, you'll never know what to do. A lot of us want to establish who we are first and then try and find a God. No, the Bible actually, biblical worldview says that we establish who God is and then we know what to do. First the who, then the do. But a lot of our world goes, my identity, my thing. Everyone's challenging my thing. And all we're doing is we're starting with the do first before we get to the who. And so we've got a distorted truth. You see, truth is an objective standard by which Reality is measured. And the tactic of the enemy is to to make sure that we say things like, I don't know if that commitment I made to God is real. I don't know if God is really who he says he is. Any of you ever questioned that? That's when the enemy sits at your table because you aren't strapped with your core. You haven't got a truth, a core truth that stabilizes you. You know, sometimes, how many of you have ever been in that place where you read the word of God? Hey? How many of you ever, ever read this, the sword, and you've got your sword to fight, but it never, ever becomes appropriate? You know why? I just don't understand it. It's because you haven't aligned the truth first. God created the universe. He set it into motion. In the palm of his hand, God created everything, creatures. He created us. When he made everything, he said it was good. When he made us, he said it was very good. You see, the first step that as a Christian you need to establish, this is the authoritative word of God. Even if I read a Netflix documentary, it doesn't question the authority of what the Bible is. It actually says that God created the universe. And if it says it, I believe it. It establishes a truth. It gets you to stand firm. And the problem of a lot of us, is we're not standing firm because we've got distorted truth. We've got a little bit of God's word and then we've got some of our ideas. When God says don't do something, we go, maybe he wasn't talking to me in that. Just a little bit of sin. Truth is what stabilizes the believer during the battle. And here's the thing. All you need for the lies to prevail in your life is just a little bit of distorted truth. John 8, 4, 4 says, He was a murderer from the beginning. This is talking about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and a father of lies. I wanna let you know how many times when the enemy sits at your table, he's giving you a distortion of truth. Say, yeah, God did do that, but also a little bit of this. God asks you to not have sex before marriage. Yeah, I'm gonna go there. Maybe God wasn't talking to me. God knows my heart. That's a distortion of the truth. We got it. You either are applying God's truth or you're not. So the question is that we get this deception in our mind. You know, it's dangerous with deception. It's painted as a truth. It's like, what is this costume holiday they have now with the boogie ghosts and the uh, Halloween? Should be Halloween. <laughs> but people dress up. You see, Lies come dressed up as truth. You know, Charles Spurgeon probably says it the best. He says this, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. And a lot of us are always trying to go, but maybe it's not that bad. But I need you to get the armor of God on. Full, put it full on. And you'll know the difference. As you face this world, you'll know every morning where to recognize the enemy and how to overcoming. So how do you know when anything's true anymore? Well, I always believe that you've got to go back to the origin. Remember in school, I don't know how many of the kids do today, but remember when we were in school or you were in school, you used to send letters to somebody or you'd whisper in their ear, can you ask Sarah, I'd like to use a pencil. Go through our class, oh, Sarah, can I like to use a pencil? Pencil is Sarah's. Then it, it, it eventually, Dita wants to go on a date with your pencil. Like, how do you get back to, to what's true now in that whole broken noise? You go right back to the origin of anything. You see, if you're ever stuck, just go back to the origin of everything because it'll remind you of the truth. You see, if you don't receive the information directly from the source, there is a good chance that the last part of it is incorrect. We're living in a world where our truth, the last part of it's incorrect. All I'm gonna invite you to do is go back to God's Word, go back to the source, go back to the origin. If you can establish that God created the universe, He created it on purpose and for a purpose. He loves me, He cares for me. Jesus is my victory. He died and on the third day, He rose again. He went down into the depths. He conquered Satan. And here, victory that He carries, I carry in my life every single day. There's a truth and I have the sword of the Spirit that every day as I read it, it informs me, it equips me, it helps me go into this world where there is anxiety and there is depression and there is all of this lies that are going on just establishes my truth and tightens my belt so I want to encourage you church if you're going to do something establish your truth because if you don't your core is going to be out of place and you won't be able to stand up straight and you'll feel shaky at times so how do we do that quickly can I ask us to stand quickly as we just I'm going to read this statement to you and then I want us to go into worship quickly. And it's a statement of truth for each day. What is the practical step that you can do? And if you want to take a photo of this, you can. What you do is every day you establish God's truth. So Monday, my God knows my name, Isaiah 43.2. Tuesday, my God goes before me, Isaiah 40. 
Wednesday, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. Thursday, my present sufferings pale in comparison to the future glory that God has in store for me in Romans 8.18. Friday, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Saturday, I am a child of God. We need to affirm God's Word over your life every day. Put on the armour as you affirm God in your life every day. It's in this movie, I want to let you know that every victory is Christ. And when He's established with you and you are established with Him, there's a unity in that. There's a power in that. And it gets us to walk differently in this life. My encouragement to you, get closer to Jesus. Get closer to the one who created you. This morning, you may be standing here going like, I don't know if I'm close to Jesus. And maybe Dieter, I had the the same experience you did. Or maybe I'm in that moment where I'm living worldly. I'm far from God. I feel like everything's coming down on me. I just can't face this anymore. I have had thoughts and questions of whether this life is for me anymore. And I just can't do it anymore. I've tried everything. I want to ask you, have you got into a relationship with Jesus? Because if that is your story, prayer invites Jesus into your situation. And your victory can begin. And as you align to transform you, you live with that WWJD. What would Jesus do? It establishes your character. But today you may be wanting to take that step. And I'd love to pray with you as you take that step. Remember, you could not earn what God has given you. Salvation was not cheap, but it is free. And it comes from Jesus. What He did, overcoming every temptation, with Him, He can give you the strength to do the same. That same victory. That same power that raised Him from the cross. And so, it starts with a relationship. And so today, this message is not about correcting you. It's about connecting you with the One who loves you. Who's made a purpose for you. Who's got a plan for you. And if you want to invite Him into your life this morning, I want to pray with you. If that is you, just so that I know who I'm praying for, on the count of three, can you just give me a quick wave so that we can celebrate and pray with you. One, God so loved the world. Two, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. If that's you, can you just give us a quick wave so that we can pray with you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for those hands that are being raised. Thank you, God. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you for restoring people, freeing them from guilt and shame and the lies of the enemy. If that is you, one more time, can you just give us a wave so we can pray with you? Thank you. Church, can you pray with me? Lord God, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I fall short of grace. But I know you love me. I know you created me. And I want to live according to your purpose. God, I want to change my life right now. Will you come into my heart, Lord? Will you help transform me from the inside out? so that I am a live for you for the rest of my days. And if you believe that, all God's people said, Amen. Can we just celebrate for anyone that had made that decision now?